my mother actually said earlier today, we were talking about some of the stories and she knew I was going to do this podcast. And she said, you know, bitterness is like having smelly garbage in a home. And then she added on, by the way, that's not a biblical phrase. And I went, thank you. I was just about to ask what scripture verse that was. Come and stay a while amid the British charm that is called my brain. I'm a journalist and pastor in California, but don't hold that against me. I wasn't brainwashed. I chose to leave my atheism on my own accord, consequently after two sips of Kool-Aid. But that's for another time. These opinions are my own most of the time. The humour was learned of a book I found in a hedge, and the dreamer in me, well, she's here to stay. So, you're very welcome. Friends, Romans, countrymen, delighted to be here. Although I am going to give you a topic that is brutal, to say the least. Um, Brutal because it is rife in our society. Brutal because no one else seems to be acknowledging this right now. And brutal because we are not um, invincible to this very thing, despite the fact that we might say that we believe in God, despite the fact that we believe in kindness, despite the fact that we believe in something holier than ourselves. We are all privy, and dare I say, becoming more privy to this very subject indeed. I'm seeing this everywhere, between nations, across nations, between churches, against churches, between different cultures, between love itself. I'm seeing this amidst divorce. I'm seeing this amidst grief from children towards their parents and parents towards their children. I'm seeing it come up more than ever before, not because we're in a world of social media nor a galaxy of digital fighting, but it's because it's breeding and bad behaviour promotes bad behaviour. Hurt people hurt people. The abused become the abusers and no one seems to be addressing it because they think they are justified. They think this is normal. And I'd like to propose, even as I was watching the other day, a debate in the House of Commons and I remember watching as a little girl because apparently... I wasn't as fun as the rest of my friends who like to watch Disney or Mallet's Mallet. That's a very British reference, but it was basically where this dude would hit you on the head with a mallet. Not like an actual, not like a metal mallet, like a sponge. It was very funny. It wasn't as violent. This wasn't children's television. This wasn't a violent exercise (laughs) where we saw a grown adult hit a child on the head with a mallet. It was a sponge mallet that if you got a word wrong in this game, then you would hit be hit on... Anyway, I'm digressing. The reality is I would watch politics when I was much younger. For some reason, I just found it so fascinating to, to watch people debating, mainly because I didn't really like to do it myself. I was terrified of conflicts and I didn't like arguing. So I wanted to see the ones that could do this like a pro. And politicians... Back 20, 30 years ago, although they had a difference in opinion and although there were, of course, character defaults and massive integrity issues, as they have been since the beginning of time, there was still this element of honour and respect for each other that even in disagreements, I'm sure you've seen virals go around of Reagan and different American politicians where they would uh, banter even amidst the, the debates they were having, even though they had completely conflicting policies. 
I'm finding it very hard to find people that might have a justice button going off in them that can still be kind to the other side. I'm finding it very hard to be able to listen to reason or even people that speak on topics without hearing bitterness behind it. I have to enforce before anything right now that this subject is not coming from me feeling bitter or wishing to have some passive aggressive idea of um, I, if I share this on a podcast and whoever I'm bitter at will hear it. I'm actually saying this as a student of the subject because it's something I grapple with myself. I'm not going to make out like I'm some hero in this subject, but I also believe I shouldn't speak about anything unless I've had some element of o- overcoming something. Um, so I want to talk about this and Gang warfare is manifesting in podcasts on platforms in the name of justice, but actually behind it is this tyranny of bitterness, of anger, of people calling people bigots and the most horrific trolling that are happening. Um, I get it myself just as a Christian believer. Uh, even if I haven't said anything on a subject, I'll get some private DM from some random person called Pocahontas that thinks uh, I'm doomed to hell. And I'm not quite sure why, because all I was posting about was about some bunny rabbit that I loved dearly, and I believed they were my best friend when I was nine years old. Flopsy. Just if you're wondering what the name was of that bunny rabbit, uh, may she rest in peace. Exes are trolling their exes and do so under anonymous names. People refuse to return things after they've been broken up with. Publishers hold on to royalties of their authors because they had some personal fallout with them. Record labels think the artist should be thanking them for the exposure they gave them so they can pocket the majority of the financial gain. The malice of so much interaction, even in the response to the death of someone, isn't enough to have them offer an ounce of compassion, mainly because bitterness wasn't challenged. It wasn't owned by the victim and now we are seeing a tsunami of anxiety, of grief and it needs to start. This whole approach needs to start with our own soul. I can tell you right now what some of the signs are for you if you wish to know what, what's the difference between me being angry with someone and me being bitter because you are very much allowed <laughs> to be angry. Let me just make that very clear. You're allowed to be angry, you're allowed to be sad, you're allowed to be hurt, you're allowed to be... Uh, going through all the pillar of emotions, even bitterness itself. But at some point, it is our responsibility to make sure we are taking ownership of that bitterness. We've taken a little drink of the poison. The reason I honestly believe that we are stuck in bitterness is because we haven't processed the pain properly. Oh, here she goes again, talking about pain and processing it. But I don't know whether you, any of you saw um, a sermon that Bill Johnson from Bethel Church uh, spoke on this morning, uh, where he was talking about there's only two options in mourning. One is uh, to go into the presence and therefore you'll receive the comfort. And uh, the other is to go completely the other way and fall into unbelief. Um, that wasn't the unbelief of God necessarily. It's the unbelief of looking at a situation in uh, in a different way. So here are the signs to say that you might be grappling right now with bitterness. And I don't want this to instigate then everyone's starting to blame themselves for bitterness. I want them to actually own the fact that they're just holding it, they're feeling it, and they want to do something about it. This isn't a time for conviction or shame or guilt or anything like that. This is really just a part to open your heart up to, am I holding anything? If I think of a name right now, am I holding any of these signs towards that person? So I'm assuming a lot of people are listening to this because we've all 
held an amount of bitterness towards one or two, or in my case, 200 people. I'm joking, I don't... Well, maybe maybe over a lifetime it's been that. But anyway, I, um, I, I'm, I'm sharing this with you because over the last five, six years, I've really uh, turned a corner on what it looks like to not just forgive someone, but actually to remove yourself from the bitterness of, uh, of what someone has sort of clenched their claws of us into. Signs that you are bitter. You want to see their demise. This is a list that I've written out. You'll speak ill of them without acknowledging anything remotely good about them. It's all their fault. You cut them out before you've given them a conversation. You've hopped on the bandwagon of assumption rather than ask questions. You gave no space for conversation. You project the same hurt, i.e. you're projecting the same hurt, onto other people expectant for the same behaviour on new people that you've never before met. You sabotage before you give people a chance to be themselves. You lack generosity. You forget to ask how another person is actually doing. That's a real one. You refuse to look at another approach. You have imaginary conversations in your mind with someone. You feel the need to slander someone to others. You replay a convo or experience over and over in your mind. You're happy when the other fails. You feel anger every time you hear a particular person's name. You don't behave naturally around that person. You complain often. You're unreachable and unteachable. I'll say that again, you're unreachable, as in people are finding it hard now to be able to love you and you're finding it harder to let people into that love that you might actually want. And you're unteachable. You're not willing to listen to another side of a story. You're not actually willing to, hey, how do I get over this part towards them? How do I even find compassion? How do I even look into the reasons why they might have done that in the first place? You become bullish. You start to seek others to agree with you. I'm seeing this an awful lot on social media when people have been hurt by a particular demographic. They get up, they build a platform and they build their platform on bitterness. I'm all for people talking about justice. I'm all for people talking about what should be right in the world, what needs to change, what needs to progress. But when you are singling out another person or another demographic of people and calling them bigots or calling them really cruel and defamatory things, when actually those people have done things for you in the past, they were actually for your good, for actually for your bettering then there's bitterness at play and your teaching is being ridden on bitterness, which will only impart more bitterness, more disunity and a whole world breaking apart. You get easily shaken. It's important to recognise this. You're easily shaken and you're not a steadfast friend to other people. You will go in and out of communities, constantly trying to find your people. You'll actually be, um, you'll give them a chance for a minute and then you'll go off to somewhere else. You will use people around you for the benefit of what you're trying to get or even some of the pain that you're trying to fix by a new friendship, a new relationship, a new job, a new career. Um, But you're actually not steadfast enough to actually face some of the adversity and face it head on. There are 218 instances of bitterness in the Bible. And if you need some scripture, and I don't normally use scripture in um, these podcasts because I recognize there are some people that don't necessarily have a reverence for the Bible. But I would say this, it does come in very handy for emotional intelligence at times. And so uh, Hebrews twelve five actually says, make every effort to live in peace with all men and to be holy without holiness. No one will see the Lord. 
See to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. What it's saying in that is you're actually going to have a filter upon you that will not allow him to come into a space and give you wisdom on something. This is the part that the denial takes over. I don't know whether you, I'm sure you've seen this, where you've seen someone who's bitter and angry and furious and they actually start to twist the story of what actually took place. They exaggerate it. They only look at the bad stuff. They're only able to look and list out all the things that are wrong with you. And honestly, some of the things they're using are really petty and really tiny because actually there's a part of them that is bitter and mad at you because you took away hope from their life. Colossians 3.13, bearing with one, bear with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other um, as the Lord has forgiven you. So you must also forgive. That's really easy to say that. The problem is, is that we're not often talking about how we get from the hurt to forgiveness and avoiding bitterness at the same time. Acts 8.23, for I see that you are poisoned by bitterness and bound by iniquity. Essentially what this is saying is bitterness actually opens a door for you to start doing some really dark things. Um, bitterness kind of has this, this justice thing in it. It feels it deserves to punish another. It feels it deserves to get its comeuppance, to get its reward. It believes that vengeance has every single right to destroy the other person. If you're a four on the Enneagram for which I have a wing for, there are definitely parts of me, if I've gone through rejection, if I've been, um, what's the word? If I'd gone through hurt, if I felt cheated on, not necessarily in the infidelity sense, but in a way of just um, just someone not caring for my heart and putting themselves first, there's definitely a process for me where I'm now very conscious of it, so I work very, very hard to not go there. Um, but I, my, my former go-to was to get mad, get justified, and uh, just imagine how I would plot their death. Um, and I've even got essentially um, a, <laughs> I kind of got a, let's imagine if you will, let's take a hypothetical situation, which honestly is not that hypothetical because I can feel half of you going, yeah, being there. Let's take a love bomber, someone who confesses their undying love for you and plans their engagement before you've gone out to dinner. But you want to give them the benefit of the doubt. You go on one date, a few dates, and you can see codependence. You can see them elevate you to be the beacon of hope that they always wanted. They've pinned their future, their babies, their legacy on you. But you think that's a pretty tall order and not something any sh anyone should be um, held accountable to, the happiness for somebody else. You also know they have unhealthy ties with all their exes and they spend most of the time talking about them. You politely decline letting them down gently and say that you don't think this is going to work. You want different a decent friendship for starters, not a human who is trying to consume your soul. They take it well for that first conversation, but then they begin to beg, telling you they'll do anything. They'll blow up your phone every six minutes and beg you to reconsider. You've already challenged the things that needed to change, uh, the addictions they held, the bitterness they refused to acknowledge. So there isn't a chance in heaven or hell to make this work until they take ownership, which they don't. No amount of calling, texting, begging is working, so now they plan your murder, or at least your reputation if a glass sandwich is too hard to administer from their distance. They begin to hold items back, heck, even children in some cases, 
And had they a legal right to sue you, they would. But you only went on five dates. So you try to explain again politely that this isn't the right match. Then the months of asking politely for your things back or your children back begin to wither and all those involved, mutual friends, children, strangers in a supermarket, if they'll have you, are given the third right and how they believe you might be a relational descendant of Hitler. Word gets back to you and they believe you have issues and other people try to get involved to lighten your load as a friend and also to get your children or your things back but by this point bitterness has fully poisoned this person throughout their entire body and they're not even seeing red anymore they're seeing black and refusing to cooperate you have to take your distance now sad that they couldn't take your initial no like a champion sad that it had to end this way and they wonder why In your discernment, you thought it was a good idea to end this early because as high as they were loving you, they were going to bring you down to the pits of fire and burning fire and brimstone. You're sad that it had to end this way and you dig a little deeper and realise they've been a victim to rejection the majority of their life and half of it was created by their own volition. Although they won't actually tell you that because they don't realise that, because they refuse to acknowledge their own part of the game of life. Bitterness eats people alive and it's important we take a look at the subject before it becomes the death of society. Bitterness eats specifically at those that have been very hurt in childhood, very hurt in the dreams that were dismantled in front of their eyes by their husband or their wife. And I think it's incredibly important now to start recognising that even if, even if you never ask for these things to be dropped on your doorstep, even if you ask for someone not to take hold of your heart and put it through a mincing machine, which, you know, they end up doing, it's still our responsibility of how we navigate the response to that. And I think we think it's so much easier just to wish their revenge and hope that they uh, lose a limb, maybe. Or uh, or just stay a spinster forever. And there are times where I can even feel bitterness toward, towards myself on an, um, I hate, that's going to sound really new agey, I was about to say on an energy level, but there are frequencies of neg- negativity. If we speak negativity over somebody else, um, especially in the case of words and defamation of character, I find it really fascinating to understand that um, we don't think that that's going to be toxic towards us. We think it's just like a projection towards them and it won't in any way hinder us. But if we start holding on to the negativity like that, it does erode us. It actually, it actually is provingly, uh, scientifically proven that this actually weakens the muscles. And so therefore, you know, the question is not so much. I think we can all recognise, we can all think of people right now, I'm sure, who have been holding on to um, bitterness. And <laughs> my mother actually said earlier today, we were talking about some of the stories and she knew I was going to do this podcast. And she said, you know, bitterness is like having smelly garbage in a home. And then she added on, by the way, that's not a biblical phrase. And I went, thank you. For say- I was just about to ask what scripture verse that was. <laughs> but it is true. It's like we... We think that this odour of bitterness will only linger on them, but it actually eats us alive. And we know that because what starts to happen is because we're so focused on the negativity, we're so focused on the hurts of what this person has done, that instead of us actually grieving the very hurt of what this person's done, it's too hard for us to... It makes us too vulnerable. The majority of time is this. 
it's too vulnerable to admit that that makes us very sad and very much in pain. Instead, what we do is project and look to seek to be powerful. We don't want the powerlessness of allowing sadness into our space, but we actually have to. We actually have to grieve whatever the hurt was. There are times where um, I've experienced this and all I wanted to do was go around the church or the society in which I lived in with my boyfriend and I'm... Even if I was the one that ended the relationship, I was the one that wanted to make sure that my reputation wasn't damaged. I wanted to make sure, um, I, I, even though I ended it, I was still wanting to say some pretty bad stuff or warn everyone about this person. Why did I want to do that when I actually had ended it myself? Well, the reality was two things. One was I'd actually had a huge amount of hope in them and I'd had some amazing memories and incredible experience with them. And I didn't actually want it to end, but there were certain things that were saying to me, this isn't going to make longevity happen in my relationship. This isn't going to make a marriage last. And so it had to end, or I had to call out the fact this guy was on the fence and he didn't really know. And I remember wanting to go around and just trying to find people to be on my side, to like go, oh, do you want me to kick him in the shins for you? And I would go, yeah, that would be great. Thank you. Oh my gosh, I feel so loved. Thank you. That is Carrie being super immature. And honestly, I'm seeing it in grown men and grown women who are older than that Carrie that actually think it's okay because they found some new identity in something. They think it's okay to start gang warfare. They get mad at you for not speaking on your behalf, even if you are doing a very good job of it yourself. They get mad at you for not being on your side. It's no different to the bully towards me when I was eight years old at school and she wanted everyone around me to essentially destroy me and mock me for being a Christian. It was painful at school. It was very difficult at school. And throughout girls' school, I was in a girls' school from the age of nine to the age of um, 18. It was a lot of malicious unkindness at times. There was a lot of... uh, cruel uh, commentary towards each other and fortunately I'm still friends with a lot of them today and we all kind of admit our faults and recognize why we were doing that and mainly it's because we were so insecure the love bomber analogy that I gave you is down to the fact that he put so much hope in you when you took it away he wasn't willing to actually acknowledge that he put all his hope and belief into you not to himself Bitterness, therefore, is actually, as Brenny Brown has mentioned many times before, this is actually a form of envy. We get mad at a friend for leaving us because actually we really enjoyed them and we really enjoyed what they brought to the table. We get mad at them for not explaining to us why they left. And understandably so, that's a reason to be angry and mad. But it's not a reason to be bitter. I have to say there are times if you actually can avoid bitter in the process of um, being in pain and grieving someone, whether it's a boss or whether it's a friend or whatever it looks like in the relationship, this is applicable to every scenario you've been hurt in. If you can process the journey of being angry and hurt as well as you possibly can, and I'll go through some of that too with you, then it actually skips over the bitterness part because you've actually done a good job of really being honest in the journey. The reason why people hold on to bitterness for so long, it's so much harder to take on ownership. Well, Carrie, I didn't actually make my husband go and have an affair. I know, I know that. 
And that's their own failing to not be able to communicate early enough. Hey, I'm actually having problems in this marriage and I'm not actually looking um, to seek any reason why or counselling. I'm going to go off and have an affair. Or I'm going to reason the fact that because you're not giving me sex, I'm going to have sex with a thousand other women instead. That doesn't make a grown man. That doesn't mean that it, it... it solves the problem for him. All it's done is create a new addiction because in, in the very door that he opened to bitterness, he's now created an addiction. That's why those scriptures are talking about how it actually opens up to um, iniquity. It opens up to hurting more and more people. It's incredibly important that we actually hold on to the aspects of pain and anger and all of the things that you have without combining it, like threading it all together with bitterness. I have to fight really hard to not open that door, if I'm really honest. If I hear a name and I can feel that name, not want to be gloriously happy for that person, then I know I have to still do some more work on it. I know that my spiritual father would be like, if I see a picture of that person and I know that they hurt me, then I will literally stop on that page until I feel differently towards them, until I actually have something good to think towards them. And there are times where I actually purposely think about happy memories of them, of those people that have hurt us, in order to be able to actually be sad that I've lost them. Um, One of the things that I would say about this, and I know that I've had so many clients in the last few months, especially, who've gone, this friend just left. They didn't explain why they left or... Uh, they're phasing me out, but they're not owning up to the fact they're phasing me out. One of the things I want to share about that in particular, because that can be an area because you didn't have closure, you didn't have explanation. And you know, there was nothing that happened. There was no argument. There was no outrageous action that took place unless, you know, you stole from them and you're in denial to yourself that you did that. Well, here's the deal. It's st- if, even if you did hurt them, it's still their duty to come to you and tell you. It's still their duty to not rip you off and trust you enough to give you the honest opinion of what actually happened. It's their duty to communicate with you. But unfortunately, they're also jumping on the bitterness wagon and they're going into a thousand assumptions before actually asking you a question. So that's their problem and that's their their issue. If you've actually approached these people going, can you help me understand why you're phasing me? You feel like you're phasing me out and they come back to you with defense. If they're not actually owning up, to going, oh gosh, I'm so sorry. No, that's not at all what I'm feeling. I'm, I'm guess I'm doing this for this reason. Busy, by the way, isn't an excuse, especially if they've been busy before and that's never been an issue for you continuing friendship with each other. So ensure that they're not handing you a crock of lies, that it's not tangible, then obviously you're not an idiot, you're not stupid. And sometimes friends all of a sudden make us feel like we're we're part of the stupid crowd. So it's important as well to recognise when they're actually going into their own denial. There are times that people are phasing you out just because they've actually they're doing something wrong themselves and they don't want to be accountable to anyone. They're actually hiding. There are other times that they've just become so bitter towards an entire demographic and you're one of them that they just don't want to talk to you anymore, no matter how many times they've like, but I love you and why aren't you having a conversation with me? And can you help me explain just why you're distancing from me but not other people? Even when you've tried that and they're still refusing to talk to you, if anything, you feel like another person's come into the room and you've got this very cold response coming back. That is someone that's been replaced by an entire vial of bitterness and you're not going to be able to have much leeway unless they have a heart willing to take ownership of their own bitterness. 
It's very painful when people don't take ownership. Equally, it's also very easy to start thinking that no one's taking ownership and then we're not taking ownership for ourselves. One of the stories that I love the most, um, just to portray the difference of what could happen if you don't hold on to business versus the times when we can, because we've seen plenty. If you think about it, an abusive father is abusive because he's bitter that his father did the same and he doesn't feel like his own son or daughter should even receive any better type of treatment. There's a bitterness there that we have to overcome, even if we didn't ask for the abuse in the first place. It's very, very important to recognise it, even if we got the penultimate abuser, let's take a Harvey Weinstein, even if we got him into jail, that doesn't that doesn't do anything for our bitterness. It might mean we'll sleep a bit better that night, but I can bet you anything, if we allow this other person to have as much power as we've been giving them, I've robbed myself of taking back the power that I'm willing to do. I feel I really want to avoid cliches. I want to fear if really veer away from all of those one-liners that tell you about what bitterness does to you. And I'm just trying to explain to you why we hold on to it. It makes us feel powerful. It's a pseudo power. It's not a real power. It only is an it's an adrenaline booster. Anger is an adrenaline booster. And I don't think People are aware of the difference between being angry, i.e. it comes up, they're allowed to fight it out, they punch a few boxing bags, or perhaps even another person, dare I say it. But it, the, the point of turn is when they're staying in the anger rather than actually allowing themselves to feel sad because what feels sad and moves us and makes us feel so in pain feels like we've handed over all of the power over to them but that's the that's the lie when we're so sad and broken by someone else's pain us doing anything or responding back in a reaction that looks mad and wrathful and is filled with malice and just wants your demise well sweetheart you just gave them a reason to leave you even more um and that's what happens with the love bombers, the narcissists, the ones that are refusing to actually even acknowledge another person in the room anymore. There are times where I've seen people talk about other people that they've been hurt by. And um, I think, OK, well, that great. That, that story is done now. Can we get on with the rest of dinner? Because I've heard this 15 times this evening, depending on who the new crowd was in that moment. And it's the same story over and over again. Now, I understand that people have to process, but normally that's happening because we're not spending any time on our own. We're not spending any time to actually grieve and cry out. We're not spending any time to be vulnerable. And pain and process actually has to require us being sad, actually has to require us being vulnerable and alone and feel abandoned. We have to feel like that in moments in order for us to overcome that space of bitterness. I honestly don't feel today towards anyone any kind of bitterness if people have sort of removed themselves from me I'm very grateful I look towards all the ones that have stayed for the last 30 or 40 years I'm incredibly grateful that I can pick up my phone and speak to my friend who I've known since I was eight there is something about the power of longevity of friendships and relationships in your life the proof to you that this stuff isn't necessarily about you when people remove themselves without an explanation when people are actually rejecting you without an explanation when they are cold when you're trying to ask them questions sweetheart it is all all about 
the pain for them and the unwillingness to look at it. I get very nervous if I'm around anyone that's never apologized. If I've known them for six or seven years and I've gone back and gone, gosh, they've never apologized for anything in any remote conflict. I've never seen them apologize. That's worrying to me because it means at some point if they hurt you, they're probably not going to apologize. So don't act surprised if that is a day that comes. But also make sure that it's your responsibility to not be mad at them for it. Because what we end up doing is starting to, if we do actually choose to be angry and sad and mad and all of these things that encompass the journey of the, the pain of love, it means firstly that we let it cost us something. When people just deny and cut people out, uh, they, they're not very good with being able to process their own heart. So don't assume for a minute that they're healthy necessarily. If they didn't do a good job with honoring and communicating to you, you only need to sort of look a little bit more into their own journey and look back at some of the stories of inter interaction between you and them and recognize, wow, they shut their own heart down really quickly, which is why they'll shut you down. So you actually have to go, how much can I be bitter at them when they actually don't have the capability to love or be emotionally healthy? I can't be that mad with them. I actually just have to feel not even sorry for them necessarily, but find compassion and empathy in a way that goes, wow, I'm a pretty rich woman to be able to be given teachings and information and have a hungry heart to get wisdom so that I'm not bitter towards other people. This person is still choosing that. And that's going to be a demise of their own wealth in the spiritual, emotional realm for the rest of their lives until they actually take ownership. These people, by the way, can still get married. They can still move on. And often it's times where people are still, <laughs> dare I say it, Often it's people that are healthier that are actually taking a little bit more time out, a little bit more time to grieve and feel it, that they're the ones that aren't feeling any bitterness towards the spouse or the boss or anything like that. And one of these stories, let me go back, one of the stories that I felt very, very symbolic of how it can actually work in your favour, and I don't mean the rejection or the loss or the things that hurt us, but the ability to take back control of our own bitterness towards a particular group or person that hurt us. The story goes by the fifth beetle. I know there are a few different people that are considered to be the fifth beetle, but I like to consider the fifth beetle to be Pete Best, who was their drummer, the, the Beatles drummer. For the first initial couple of years of being in the Beatles, this is before they were really starting to make headways around nine, 1960. And so you can imagine like 64, 65 was when they were really starting to just catapult into the stratosphere of the music industry. But before that, um, there was this guy called Pete Best. And every time <clears throat> George and John and Paul came onto stage, uh, the crowd would wait. But then when Pete Best got onto stage, everyone would start screaming. Pete Best was considered by journalists and other people in the music industry as being the most good-looking one of the Beatles. John and Paul did not like that. And um, it turns out that, and, the, and this was observations from other musical industry folk. This wasn't necessarily acknowledged at the time when the Beatles decided, or should I say the three of them decided that the fourth Beatle, i.e. now the fifth Beatle, uh, should be dismissed. In fact, they never actually confronted their own drubber. They got them, Brian Epstein, to do it. Brilliant. How touching, how lovely. Uh, they cut out the conflict moment, the ability to confront 
Pete Best um, and got their manager to do it. And the manager didn't actually even give a reason as to why, perhaps because there wasn't a good enough one for the reason of rejecting them. Um, Take note on this story because I can feel like even if I'm talking about the Beatles here, you can actually apply this into many, many fabrics of our own lives. So Pete Best is dismissed and he's fired. And uh, he did, thankfully, with the anthology album, The Beatles, uh, receive a huge amount of royalties when that particular album was launched because the anthology held quite a few of the songs that he played in at the very beginning of their career. But it took a while for Pete Best to be able to navigate. He got into addiction and drugs. He was incredibly mad and very frustrated, obviously, at the insane success of the Beatles and knowing that he could have been one of them and with having no closure no explanation as to why he was removed um there are also still to this day if you look on Wikipedia there are like five different versions of why he was dismissed some say that because he wasn't a good enough drummer um I think even Ringo Starr probably said that after he came in. He said it's actually nothing to do, but he wasn't involved in it at the the beginning. Um, Equally, there are times where in public press, John Lennon was saying how Pete Best uh, wouldn't be there sometimes or would be ill, and so Ringo Starr would fill in. Well, that's when Pete Best basically settled a a defamation case um, with the Beatles and sued both Paul and John. Uh, for $18 million. He didn't get that amount, but he certainly got it settled out of court. You can understand when you're seeing these guys become bajillionaires in the very setting of where you were one of the four, why this guy, Pete Best, would get mad and uh, why addiction would want to be a comforting tool as the Beatles must have been everywhere on every doorstep on every newspaper on every radio station I can't imagine the pain of that I can't imagine uh, just the brutal disloyalty just of friends never mind um, the lack of tenderness and actually all of them acknowledged many years later how they didn't do a very good job what was interesting about this is that the story doesn't end there Pete Best actually somehow after attempting certain bands and obviously that not being quite as successful as the Beatles he actually found somehow a way to get his power back he ended up recognizing that his bitterness was eating him alive with his own addictions and frustrations and he recognized he was actually giving them more power than if he'd actually processed the pain well he obviously got sober he had sponsorships and sponsors to make sure that he was going to make a better life of himself. He married and was able to actually have, dare I say it, an element of gratitude towards the Beatles for firing him because he actually believes now he's incredibly happy with his life. He's very happy he never became a Beatle because of the things he found the other side of removing bitterness. I think that's a story that should be repeated far more than it actually is. He chose, finally, to remove the Beatles off the pedestal like the rest of the world had put them on and recognise that they didn't get to own his life story. They didn't get to own the future of how this was going to turn out for him. He got to call the shots. He got to react the way that he wanted to. It took some maturity. It actually took some self-sabotage. But the guy somewhere, somehow, had someone to go, at some point, this is your choice of how you're responding to this. And at some point, you have to go, oh, wow, 
I've been giving these guys way too much power. At some point, bitterness kind of gets old and it becomes worn out. It becomes exhausting. You can see it even in people's faces. They almost have like um, a grey tone to their face. You can also see the patterns going out again and again and again. You can see how they're um, unable to take care of another person nor even um, stretch their capacity to take care of another person. I think it's very important to recognise as well that they actually lose the capacity to stretch themselves to a point of growth. They don't actually, they don't allow themselves to hear wisdom because they're refusing to acknowledge the pain and the sadness of what that hurts causing them. Of course, there are people that will see bitterness and then just want to kind of attack it with another argument or with another perspective, and they think that's going to radically change them. The best way to navigate someone who's feeling bitter is actually to go in very soft and very tender. Granted, they're still going to be mad. They're still going to be angry at times. Um, But the ones that are malleable to love will actually go a bit softer. You'll be able to take them away from the edge of the cliff, so to speak, and say, listen, I'm so sorry that that happened to you. And not only that, but this must have been how it made you feel that person that you really thought was going to be the love of your life, well, let's look at that for a minute. You didn't know them for very long. Perhaps you place them on a pedestal that they didn't really deserve. Perhaps there's a part of you that thinks that somebody else is going to become the answer for you, and that's why you're envying her thriving life afterwards. Maybe that's why you don't want her to be single and happy, never mind with someone and happy. Maybe it's important now to look a little bit about what do you want from life? What would it take for you to actually own your own life and recognise that this bitter thing, this bitter pill that you've chosen to swallow, is actually inviting the very things you don't want, which is more rejection. It's more elevated codependency. It's creating more addictions. And addiction really is just a suppressant for the very pain that is constantly asking you to just be finally processing. It's very important to get the courage to find the courage. And I'm seeing this an awful lot with people with anxiety as well. There's those that are, I remember I had a friend, actually it was an ex, uh, ex-boyfriend of mine that I'd, I'd just been in um, Italy with. And uh, we're still very good friends. And he said, you know, you're stronger than me. And I went, I don't, I don't know whether I'm stronger than you because you're a pretty profound and brilliant man yourself. But I would say this, you and I are different when adversity happens. I go, okay, what do we need to do? What do we need to look at? What do I need to process? What do I need to be sad about? You run away and go to a retreat or go to some sort of Zen Buddhist garden in the Himalayas. I like to try and stay here, process it, and then go to a Buddhist garden (laughs) in the Himalayas. I'm not someone that messes around anymore, mainly because I recognise that it's just delaying. And anxiety will be continually increasing if we don't remind ourselves how resilient we are to pain. If we actually face some of these things that intimidate us or scare us, if we're avoiding the very things that are creating anxiety, um, then all we've taught ourselves is that thing is more powerful than me. 
And so this is the same with pain. We have to, we have to face it. We have to face how painful this is. Um, at times when people have removed themselves from us or haven't really given us a very good reason as to why they said goodbye. Um, and equally, we have to make sure that if we are wanting to change relationships, friendships, job positions, if you're a boss and you've got team teams and they're all doing brilliantly but one person is ruining it for the rest of the crowd then we actually have to be open enough to communicate hey beat best you're just too damn good looking and we can't navigate our own insecurities with that <laughs> we actually have to be able to go hey actually I'm not ready for a relationship I I think I'm sabotaging myself and um I was about to put you on a pedestal but instead I think I just need to um, when I said I was single for nine months, I wasn't actually single. I was still dating and I was still gallivanting around. And now I've been confronted with the beauty of intimacy. I'm now wanting to devour you and consume you for my own hope. And that's not fair. So I actually need to take ownership of that before I get mad and bitter at you that you are not the love of my life. And um, so we equally, if we are choosing to change relationships, then... Uh, if if you don't acknowledge it, you will start being snide and cruel to people over dinner. You'll start to be able to um, not even recognize when you're being out of line. You'll start to justify it in your own heart. Um, and I've had this before where for about a year and a half, someone was just like, they were being, they were really performing. Like they were like, hi, how are you? And I'm like, okay, what is going on? <laughs> this isn't making any sense. I don't understand why you were all in our lives three, four times a week, and now we don't hear anything from you, which is fine, things change. But uh, the thing that I really would like to challenge is why you're so awful over your dinner, or so snide and so frustrated, so impatient with us. Like, what's going on? And instead of, like, actually acknowledging, oh, oh, wow, okay, maybe I have got something going on here. Maybe I need to go and look at it. They'll cut out, they'll phase out. And equally, when you challenge it one more time, oh, you didn't do anything wrong, they've just changed their mind. Well, I'd really like you to actually look at why you would drag us into this relationship for the last five years with you and not actually acknowledge why you've changed your mind. Um, it would be really great for everyone if you could look at that rather than think it's something that we all did, rather than thinking that, oh, it's just not my kind of person. That doesn't work when you've been friends with someone for four or five years. You've actually got to start looking into the, and digging deeper into yourself. So all of us have a component to play. All of us have to ask, hey, have I done anything wrong? Because I'm happy to change that or do something or acknowledge that. No, you don't want to look at it. Okay. Oh, oh, see. Oh, they've gone. It's very painful to be left behind by that. But it's also my responsibility to make sure that I do not stay bitter in moments where I've been essentially feeling unjustified. If you're a teacher, if you're a social influencer, if you are someone that feels like you have an absolute baton of justice in a particular area because of what you've experienced and how you've overcome it, well, here's the deal. The people that I believe have really healed and really overcome something are ones that can be kind to anybody, even the people that have hurt them. This is why I've been so obsessed over the years of stories where a mother whose son was murdered ends up mothering the murderer of her son. There's something very deeply profound about actually looking at the why people do what they do. Don't be shallow. Don't just cut people out. The cancel culture is all based on bitterness. 
it's all based on I'm unable to deal with the pain that you are confronting me with. So I'm just going to cancel you out. And then I can just go and find someone who's exactly the same as me. It's creating more tribalism. It's creating more warfare. And before you know it, we're all going to be very unhappy. (laughs) We need to understand once more how to navigate those parts in our heart which we don't want to look at. Ephesians 4.26 talk about in your anger do not sin, do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. That sun, that forgiving someone 77 times, 70 times 7, there are moments where I go, huh, was that 77 different sins or is that the 77 different layers of what it takes to forgive someone? And I really do believe after battling this journey of bitterness of what people might have done towards us, um, I think it's very, very freeing, firstly. I don't think anyone slipped through my fingers, dare I say it, in the journey of even dating as a single. I don't feel I have more capacity to be able to love, for example, the bio mothers of the foster children that come into my home. I don't hold judgment against them because I've been able to navigate on a deeper level and a deeper sense of wisdom towards why people do what they do. She abused their son, she abused their daughter because she was abused. And of course, that doesn't condone it. But it does give me the capacity to be able to process without getting bitter or, dare I say it, without wanting to hold their child child and keep them for myself because I think I'm a better parent. No, no. Actually, science is saying that it, it helps for foster children to actually go back and be reunited to their actual homes. Even if the biological parents aren't as good as you are, there's an innate animal instinct towards our parents. If you have not worked on your bitterness towards your parents, you can categorically believe that you will not only be bitter towards people, but you will bind them into your bitterness. Um, there are people out there that are uh, not wanting to be married and not wanting to have children because of how they've seen their parents be in their marriage. But not only that, they're dating people for decades and not letting them marry them, but they're keeping on to them at the same time, which to me is a form of abuse. It's not fair. It's not kind. But they're not recognizing that because they're justifying in their head, well, we've been together for 20 odd years, so it's fine, therefore, for me to not marry them. But the other person wants to marry them. Bitterness is incredibly subtle and it will play out as soon as I ask you, hey, so talk to me about your parents. Oh, I don't think there's much time to talk about the parents. And to be honest, I don't really want to. A lunch is taxing. It says to me that you're bitter. And unless you're willing to look at that stuff, sweetheart, you're going to be trapped in this cycle of being with people you actually don't want to be with. You're going to be binding yourself to things that hold you back from marriage because it, deep down somewhere the bitterness is said to you that marriage isn't a beautiful thing. We've got to be really careful to recognise that Proverbs 14.10, it says, each heart knows its own bitterness and no one else can share its joy. What does that mean? It means that we can't really share joy with each other when we're holding on to our own bitterness. And no matter how much you try and pretend that you've you've forgiven someone, that you've moved on, we can feel bitterness on someone. We can all sense it, whether whatever comes out of your mouth or just whether you're pretending to be really kind to someone and out comes out of your mouth some snide remarks or some unkind gestures. 
It doesn't fool anyone, this. And I would strongly recommend that instead of fighting with people that are using a platform to communicate their bitterness towards different demographics, even if you absolutely agree with some of the sentiments they're saying, please don't support people who are communicating with a bitter motivation. Be very careful to not partner with bitterness. Be very careful because it will exude onto you. I've even seen it where people have come to the very environment where they were birthed as a spiritual son and given elevation and given all of this promotion in their church ministry. And all of a sudden they got hurt by the spiritual father or something took place behind closed doors. And before they know it, they're using their influence to completely annihilate the spiritual father. Well, here's the deal. What's interesting to me is when I do my research on those kind of things, I'm recognizing that people are actually trying to reach out to him, but he's refusing to have a conversation. Letters have been sent. Hey, we'd love to have communion. We'd love to do communion with you. We'd love to talk to you about whatever is on your heart. But if they're not willing to have a conversation with you, and then before you know it, they're using their gifts in the name of bitterness, not in the name of a godly venture, not in the name of holiness but purely based on the fact that they've now made their identity this very thing that they feel rejection or pain over in other places of the world, and that doesn't work for me. My heart for you is that you start to discern who's carrying bitterness and who's just angry today. My heart for you is to recognise that it's okay to be angry and upset and frustrated, it's all right for that to take a while as well. It's all right for that to have 77 layers before you actually find a way to forgive that person. But my heart for you is that you persevere through it, that you don't just settle for the fact that that person has issues. Maybe they don't. Maybe they do. But the reality is that it's your responsibility to start speaking better about other people, and it's also your responsibility to find a way to not give them as much power as we've been giving them not to give them as much uh, of the answer to our hope. They're not the answer to your hope. They might have been an answer to a season. They're not the answer to your hope. And what those that the, facing some of that pain, some of that torture that we've even gone through from their hurt, the, the confusion, the unknowns, the questions that they never answered, is that I get to look at the people that didn't do that stuff. I get to look and be so full of gratitude and it actually defines what family means to me even more so. It defines what relationship and trust and honour looks like. It defines the people that are in it for the long haul for me are not revered onto another pe pedestal, nor replacing those people that I might be grieving. But actually what it does, it goes, gosh, guys, thanks for being in this for the long haul with me. And equally welcome new friends. Well, come on in, because you all have an individual story and I refuse to tie you with a brush that I made out of bitterness, out of refusal, to take the responsibility of processing my own pain. And additionally, if there is any sense of envy there, any sense of like, oh, my life could have been better with you and now I just want your demise. <laughs> well, we need to look at essentially our own heart there. We need to look at... Why would we want the demise of someone when at some point they were actually pretty good to you and they 
for all of their faults and all of their dreadful ways of finishing whatever that thing was or hurting you or just completely going cold on you, not recognizing. Maybe you've been working in an environment where you were working for pittance of a wage and everyone else around you got pay rises, but for some reason you kept on being overlooked and you stayed in that job for a long, long time instead of refusing to leave it. Well, next time you get into a position, you're going to be looking to see if they actually have spaces to promote you, spaces to be able to actually um, make you feel valued, even if it's not through a monetary system. These things are lessons to us, they're gifts to us. And it's a privilege to let it cost you something. Let it cost you something. I've been saying this over and over again, let it cost you something. Let the moments where people have encouraged you, where people have been generous and not with an agenda, when people have actually um, loved bombed on you, but with a sincere heart. And you know that because sometimes if they've loved bombed and you've gone, actually, sweetheart, you're coming on a little bit too strong. Thank you for the engagement ring, but this is our first dinner. <laughs> and they'll go, oh, yeah, you're right. It's a bit, it was, it's a lot. I don't really know your second name. What is your second name? What's your, what's your last name? It gives us opportunities to recognise that, oh, there are some people that actually do take ownership. They just got really keen. Why wouldn't they get keen? We're fantastic. We're fantastic people. We've got the whole package. Why wouldn't someone want to marry you by the first date? But the reality is this. Everyone has their stuff. I have my stuff. I just pray that I'm always teachable. And I pray that I'm always willing to listen to the other side of the story. If there have been people that have just said, cut you out, if there have been people that have just ghosted you, if you were the good-looking one in the band and you're seeing them ride on success like the Beatles did themselves, know at some point, after the grieving, after the lamenting, after the travailing that you've gone through, that actually sometimes those, those people that left or removed you were actually a great gift for you to discover the true meaning of who you are and what you are and what your future looks like because you deserve the power back and it will only come back the moment you rid yourself of bitterness. If you want a cheap ride to heaven, rid yourself of bitterness. I know I make it sound really easy. I have to tell you it's not. It takes a lot of work, a lot of perseverance, but even knowing that this is something that you could be grappling with, your 50% way, way to actually curing the disease of this stuff. And let's fake it. Like my mother says, no one wants smelly garbage in their home. Just so you know, that's not a biblical verse. Love you guys. Thanks for listening. Um, I'm here. I'm coaching. If anyone wants to do any coaching. And... Um, if you want to get in touch with me or have any topics that you'd like me to talk about on the podcast, I know I'm so regular with these. <laughs> but you can go onto my website, www.carrylloyd.live. And I'm also on Instagram at Carrie Gracie. I know this was a tough one. I know it's a lot to listen to. But let's start a movement, shall we, of challenging people's bitterness versus enabling them to be wrathful to be full of malice, to be full of arguments that aren't bringing unity together. It's incredibly important that we start going after kindness, wholeness, 
and things that aren't laced with a bitter pill. I'll speak to you soon. Thank you so much for listening to the Carry On podcast. I've so loved your messages. If you're new to this, um, then I'm on Instagram at Carrie Gracie. And you're welcome to DM me there. I do read my own messages. We do have a little team that helped me out with it as well. And we have a Facebook page that is called Carrie Lloyd, funnily enough. So uh, if there's anything you want me to talk about, if there's anything you wish to get in touch with us about, uh, then you can also go on to www.carrielloyd.live. That's my um, main website where you can contact us through there. Um, always a pleasure. Never a chore, darling. 